0: Welcome to Eureka Nerd. I'm Will, compensating for jet lag with caffeine.
1: And I'm Leah, compensating for everything with caffeine.
0: And you join us this week for a whole host, a veritable feast of science news. Starting, first of all, with the news that vegetarian diets are almost twice as effective in reducing body weight, according to a study in the Journal of American College of Nutrition.
1: Now, this is a study looking particularly at participants with type 2 diabetes. 74 subjects were randomly assigned to follow either a vegetarian diet or conventional anti-diabetic diet. However, their vegetarian diet does not line up with the diets of most of the vegetarians I know, because it includes
0: no cheese. Cheese being the cornerstone to pretty much coping as a vegetarian, so far as I understand it.
1: The participants were limited to just one small pot of yoghurt a day for their animal product intake, so no eggs either.
0: Functionally a vegan diet with the occasional indulgence.
1: Yeah, it's a vegan diet with a bit of yogurt.
0: Oh, forgive me for not being thrilled to the core.
1: You don't have type 2 diabetes, so hopefully you won't ever need to follow this one. But in their participants, the group on the vegetarian diet lost nearly twice as much body weight over the course of the study. And it made a big difference to the amount of intramuscular fat they were carrying around, which makes a big difference to the metabolic function of the muscle tissue.
0: Lead author, Dr. Hannah Kilova, Director of Clinical Research at the Physicians' Committee for Responsible Medicine in Washington, D.C., says that this finding is important for people who are trying to lose weight, including those suffering from metabolic syndrome and or type 2 diabetes, but it is also relevant to anyone who takes their weight management seriously and wants to stay lean and healthy.
1: So, anyone who has listened to any of the stuff we've covered about weight loss previously is aware that I've got opinions about this and... Mostly these opinions are that weight loss, for the sake of weight loss, is pointless. That the medical community as a whole has got far too much of a focus on weight for its own sake, as opposed to the actual metabolic impact of your lifestyle. There is an unfortunate focus on being thinner rather than actually being healthier. Which is why I want to focus on the fact that this study particularly was using diabetic participants and showed an improvement in markers for metabolic function of their body tissues rather than they just got thinner.
0: This diet does come at the cost of no dairy. Basically no dairy. One small bit of just about dairy. Which, I mean, to give up all of the cheeses that there are is a a big ask.
1: It's more than I'd ever be willing to do.
0: But would you be willing for maybe a little bit of cash? Some payola? Some of that dinero? Nah. Not even some Singapore dollars? Because, according to a new study in social science and medicine, incentivizing people to lose weight with monetary rewards, well, it works. It turns out you can either not eat meat, or you can just get them fat stacks, and you'll probably also do fine.
1: Although this study based in Singapore is just looking at the gross amount of weight that was lost i mean gross in the uh, as in versus net rather than um, any sense of revulsion just the number of kilograms lost as opposed to any markers that might indicate well-being
0: i will take padding in my wallet as a sign of well-being most days but i understand where you're coming from and in this study randomized eight month long singapore based Trial on Incentives for Obesity, or the TRIO trial, there's a lot of acronyms coming into today's episode, this is just the first. 161 participants paid 234 Singapore dollars to access a 16-week intensive weight loss program. Participants who paid the additional 165 dollars for the rewards program, a total of 399 Singapore dollars overall, were incentivized with monthly rewards in cash or as a lottery ticket with a 1 in 10 chance of winning 10 times the cash amount. ...if they met monthly weight loss and step goals. It meant that the maximum possible reward value over the eight-month period was 660 Singapore dollars. And you might think that is a lot for, say, private health insurers to want to pay out. But by the time that you've subtracted all of the costs that the participants are paying in... ...and then paying for the rewards program, third-party costs only $60 per participant for a greater than 5% weight loss... Exceeding the step counts. And Dr. Finkelstein highlights that this could be a really cheap way of reducing the incidence of non communicable diseases that come with longer lives of certain diets, where then your body weight goes up. And that can lead to, as we mentioned earlier, type 2 diabetes amongst a whole host of other diseases.
1: Interestingly, only 42% of participants actually made a profit after paying the fees to access the program, but around 80% said that they were satisfied with the scheme.
0: Most people don't win the lottery, and most people still keep playing it. So then you end up in the situation where people are happy to pay for losing weight.
1: People pay money in to be told they're fat, and then they maybe lose some weight, mostly put it all back on again, and then they pay more money to the diet industry. Which, in case you were wondering, is 100% one of the reasons I have a problem with it.
0: Well, you are not alone in your concerns that the diet industry is largely geared towards making people feel bad, because it turns out that by changing people's exercise habits to things that they enjoy doing, they're more likely to keep doing them. This is the result of a large survey from Michigan's Sport Health Activity Research Policy Center, the acronym being SHARP, I told you they were coming, led by Michelle Seeger, who is the director of the center. And in this study, funded by the National Cancer Institute, published in the BMC Public Health Journal, shows that women who they classified as active and inactive, those who were, well, doing and not doing exercise, reported the same ingredients for feeling happy and successful. Those being connecting with and helping others be happy and successful, being relaxed and free of pressures in their leisure time, accomplishing goals of many sorts.
1: The key difference that was found in their participants between the active women and the less active ones, among the active women, it was accepted that all exercise is good exercise, while the less active women had the idea that workouts had to be intense and difficult and make you uncomfortable to be doing any good in direct conflict with the desire to relax in your leisure time the more active women were in agreement that it's not the end of the world if you have to skip exercising once in a while. Whereas the less active women felt that if you skipped one day, you might as well give up, which is a symptom of how a lot of people talk about doing exercise for health and weight loss.
0: And Michelle Seeger points out that this traditional approach to exercising of all or nothing, suffer, sweat, endure might actually harm exercise motivation. Our study shows that this exercise message conflicts with and undermines the very experiences and goals most women have for themselves. So, here's the Eureka Nerd health diet tips for today. If you are experiencing type 2 diabetes, then consider the vegetarian diet prescribed above, but don't feel like it's absolutely essential.
1: Like, enjoy your life as well?
0: hmm And, you know, type 2 diabetes is... It's manageable, it can be a lifelong condition, it's something that can be induced by diet and environment, and it can just also happen out of sheer biology. So don't feel pressured to prove yourself to anyone with diet and exercise that you don't enjoy. Because, I mean, if you spin it right, you can even get paid for it.
1: And, per Michelle Seeger's advice from this study, remind yourself that movement can and should feel good to do. That physical activity can be a way to connect with other people. That physical activity is a vehicle that can help you renew and re-energise yourself to better succeed at your daily roles and goals. Physical activity is a really wide spectrum. And moving at all is a positive step. And to round off the Eureka Nerd what not to eat, I guess... Pursuing a vegan diet as an adult is a choice you are welcome to make, but if you're planning to inflict it on your children, please bear in mind that drinking non-cow's milk will likely stunt their growth.
0: According to research from St Michael's Hospital, that's a difference of 1.5 centimetres in three-year-olds who are drinking three cups of cow milk per day compared to three cups of not-cow milk per day.
1: Children drinking cow's milk were, on average six millimetres taller than their non-cow milk drinking peers for every individual glass of milk.
0: And that adds up. Similarly, research from Washington University in St. Louis that eggs can significantly increase the growth of young children, reducing prevalence of stunting by 47% and those being underweight by 74% among populations who ate eggs compared to those who did not.
1: This is a population of children aged six to nine months in Ecuador in 2015. And Laura Iannotti, lead author of the study, notes, we were surprised by just how effective this intervention proved to be. Eggs seem to be a viable and recommended source of nutrition for children in developing countries. And they even monitored the children for signs of any allergy to the eggs they were eating and didn't turn up a problem.
0: So, milk, eggs, we're halfway to a cake.
1: Let's make it a carrot cake, though. Let's just, you know, swap mm. out some of that refined sugar
0: for... Yeah, basically a vegetarian diet at that point. Well, let's uh, stay clear of one health concern, moving swiftly into another, with what might be my favourite word in science this year so far. A team of scientists, led by Evgenia Ilyinskaya, the University of Leeds have traced the evolution of plume chemistry from volcanoes, looking at the 2014-2015 Icelandic Holuhraun lava field eruption, and have identified a second type of plume that impacts air quality, that circles out from the initial eruption, then matures, particulates in the wind and clouds, and then blows back, forming what they describe as a plumerang.
1: Frankly, I would not be surprised if they've been sitting on this research for a little while while they came up with that name.
0: Someone sat in the lab going, a Plume. No.
1: a Plume? Plume Turn? No. back That sounds like a Pokemon.
0: Oh, and Plumerang doesn't?
1: I mean, it does also. Some sort of a bird...
0: That throws its boomerang-shaped yeah. feather. I'll have to send that to How Laboratories. <laughs> now, let's hear from Dr. Elin Skaya from the Institute of Geophysics and Tectonics at Leeds, who says, The return of this second mature plume, which we refer to as a plumerang, showed that volcanic sulfur had undergone a gas-to-particle conversion by spending time in the atmosphere. This conversion meant that sulfur dioxide levels of the plumerang were reduced, and within the European Commission air quality standards, And therefore, no health advisory messages were in place. So people aren't expecting it.
1: They aren't warned about it because they're not looking for it.
0: And it's coming in at just under the levels that a health warning would be put out. But when Dr. Ilinsky and her lab spoke to people in Reykjavik, living under this plumerang when it returned, quote, they described a burning sensation in the throat and eyes when sulphur dioxide levels had been well within air quality standard levels. But the particle rich plumerang would have been over the city.
1: And the research recommends that in future gas rich eruptions, both the young and mature plumes should be considered when forecasting air pollution and the dispersion and transport pattern of the plume. Though co author Dr. Anya Smith from the Institute of Climate and Atmospheric Science at Leeds does note that the Hollerown eruption gave a rare opportunity to study volcanism of this style and scale with modern. Scientific techniques. So, sorry Reykjavik, but at least thanks to your suffering. Next time someone has to deal with it, we're better prepared.
0: I mean, until then, you probably feel worse for wear, the burning eyes and throat, and we're sorry about that. But for what it's worth, air pollution, volcanic or otherwise, is a problem across the world, a growing problem across the world. In fact, there have been initiatives trying to tackle it here in Bristol. And a new piece of research in a special biodiversity issue of the Scientific Journal of Nature describes how biodiversity reducing... how Describes how lowering Earth's biodiversity by cutting down trees, reducing habitats for other animals and...
1: Generally damaging the environment.
0: ...is making everything just kind of worse for everyone. Using the analogy here at the start of the press release, they write... Imagine being a scuba diver and leaving your oxygen tank behind you on a dive. Or being a mountain climber and abandoning your ropes. Or a skydiver and shedding your parachute. That is essentially what humans are doing as we expand our footprint on the planet without paying adequate attention to impacts on other living things. This research is from Forrest Isbell and Andrew Gonzalez, who were part of a team of co authors from eight countries across four continents.
1: There overview of what we know and still need to learn about the impacts of habitat destruction overhunting, the introduction of non-native species and other human activities on biodiversity as well as summaries of previous research on how biodiversity loss affects nature and the benefits we receive from biodiversity suggests that we receive ten times as much value from biodiversity as the entire world is investing in conservation work So, as Forrest Isabel says, quoted at the bottom of the article, it would be wise to invest much more in conserving biodiversity.
0: And wouldn't you know, clean energy, surely a step towards preserving biodiversity and reducing air pollution, is the subject of our very next study.
1: A team from Michigan Technological University calculated the cost of combusting coal in terms of human lives and compared it with the potential benefits of switching entirely to solar power. And they have worked out up to 51,999 American lives would be saved from premature air pollution-related deaths associated with burning coal if the entire country switched to solar power at a cost of $1.1 million of investment per life. Not like per person in the US. Per person who doesn't die of an air pollution-related disease.
0: Pretty fair, if you ask me. And if you ask Joshua Pierce, Professor of Material Science and Electrical Engineering at Michigan Tech, unlike any other public health investments, you get more than lives saved. In addition to saving lives, solar is producing electricity, which has economic value. And everyone wants to avoid wasting money just of pure value of electricity, the sensitivities they looked at. It's profitable to save American lives by eliminating coal with solar.
1: You might genuinely make multiple millions of dollars for each of those almost fifty two thousand people.
0: Just one shy of fifty two thousand. I mean It's an this, oddly
1: specific number to choose.
0: This might be slightly bad science on my account, but I I would have rounded up. <laughs> Maybe there's an impact to fifty one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine that just hits people a bit more. Now the cost of replacing all coal production is Not going to be cheap. By energy production, you're looking at 755 gigawatts from coal, a significant increase from the current contribution of 22.7 gigawatts of solar power coming from the US at the moment. So investing enough to match that and supplant coal entirely would take $1.5 trillion.
1: But as we've mentioned, for that $1.5 trillion, you are likely to make at least some profit. Of the electricity, let alone of the people who, as a result of not having been breathing in smoke, are
0: well enough to go to work. And buy things and contribute to tax and the economy. And Pierce's overall takeaway from the study is that if we're rational and we care about American lives or even just money, then it is time to end coal in the US. You know, you can explain it to the human heart that you are saving lives and to just the sheer capitalist, by the way, you will make money from this. And yet it probably will not be widely adopted.
1: Yes, unfortunately, the uh, the model of capitalism we currently live in doesn't seem to run on logic. Even logic of this will actually benefit you doesn't seem to swing it.
0: And this comes at a time when the current US government administration is doubling down on investment in coal even if they're trying to sell it as clean coal, which is not a thing. It's not like you can just dust off the coal as you take it out of the ground and put some of it back. And there's also a huge investment in coal from Australia as well, which then they are just dumping the waste on the Barrier Reef and has led to the atrophy and bleaching of the reef by huge margins. So at this point we would probably put up a picture alongside this if there were any pictures to go with our voices of the onion headline
1: scientists remind the world that clean energy is ready to go whenever
0: cut back to a couple of episodes ago when i was trying to compel people to hey listen to me listen to my voice you want to make a name for yourself you want to do something good how about we save the world It'd probably only take a couple of world leaders to get this ball rolling.
1: A handful of the richest people in the world could get it done. But while we're talking about the climate...
0: And the misconceptions and logical failings of trying to understand how systems work...
1: It seems that teachers, in spite of their position of endowing the the next generation with the information they need to cope with the world, are about as bad as the general public at understanding climate change as a thing.
0: This is according to a survey by Benjamin Herman, assistant professor in the Department of Learning Teaching Curriculum at the University of Missouri College of Education who surveyed 220 science teachers in Florida and Puerto Rico to determine knowledge about climate change science. This is asking questions regarding things like do greenhouse gases contribute to climate change? Do depletions of ozone layer contribute to climate change. Does pesticide use contribute to climate change?
1: Can climate change be validated through science which doesn't use controlled experiment?
0: And nearly all of the Puerto Rico teachers and more than 70% of Florida teachers incorrectly believe that ozone layer depletion and pesticide use were at least minor yet significant causes of climate change. Which I feel like is something of maybe... A vaguer in wording there, because the depletion of ozone layer is a consequence of chlorofluorocarbons being released, which then does contribute in some ways... Do they? Like the thinning of the ozone layer... Yeah, but is, do
1: CFCs contribute to climate
0: change? You can see where the confusion comes from.
1: Oh no, I can absolutely see where the confusion, because these things are all often spoken about in the same breath as general environmental issues. The thinning of the ozone layer is a is caused by humans and is causing problems for humans. You know, if you're hanging out in Australia you're a lot likely you're a lot more likely to get a bad sunburn than if you're at the same latitude in Chile or Argentina, and our overuse of pesticides is implicated in an awful lot of bad health outcomes in people working on farms and living near farms. All the runoff and, affecting
0: biodiversity nearby.
1: Yep, the runoff polluting waterways, killing more insects than just the ones we're trying to, like, for example, honeybees.
0: But climate change is not the direct link they're looking for.
1: They're of the same family of issues, even if they're not actually causing one
0: another. And Herman does comment later that, Climate change science involves many different types of science methods stemming from disciplines including physics, biology, atmospheric science, and earth science. And science teachers also need professional development directed at assisting them in their efforts to accurately and effectively engage students on this important issue. Because of existing misconceptions and misinformation regarding climate change, science teachers have a crucial professional and ethical responsibility to accurately convey to their students how climate change is studied and why scientists believe the climate is changing. And with all of these mixed messages floating about, clarity is important.
1: I feel like it is important to just consider if you are running an education system where teachers aren't encouraged and equipped to undertake continuing professional development all the time, especially science teachers, then... You're letting the teachers down, you're letting the kids down, you're letting yourself down.
0: I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about like the English teachers. There isn't going to be any new research about the use of an Oxford comma that's going to, you know, blow anyone's mind wide open. But... Science does change, it's...
1: Yeah. Science as... as a... By the very nature of the discipline...
0: We are never done.
1: ...is a constantly evolving. And... Even... even for an English teacher... You know, the words in your Shakespeare book are not likely to change. But the cultural context that you are teaching them in is always changing. Hmm.
0: And then finally we have one piece from the University of Southern California, which may say a lot about the people that you have known in your life, where, for example, if there's someone you know at work who gets a promotion before you or someone that you play sports with and they're always doing a little bit better than you and they've got that smug grin on their face and you just kinda want to wipe it off. Well, according to research from the USC in a winning scenario smiling can decrease your odds of success against the same opponent in subsequent matches.
1: Now interestingly to perform this research they used The game that is played in the TV show Golden Balls.
0: Jasper Carrots, Golden Balls.
1: It's the typical scenario that is often presented when talking about game theory, where two participants have the option to either share or steal a prize. They both choose to share it. They both get it split half and half. If one chooses to share and the other to steal, the stealer gets all of it. If they both choose to steal, no one gets anything.
0: The lesson being that mutual cooperation is always beneficial.
1: Smiling, when you win a steal from your opponent, will make them less likely to cooperate with you in future.
0: And is a fantastic motivator. People who smiled during victory increase the odds of the opponent acting aggressively to steal a pot of money rather than share it in future gameplay. Conversely, smiling during a loss tends to help the odds of success in the game going forwards. Someone who is humble in defeat, or just kind of, you know, still having fun, that they get to play Golden Balls.
1: I don't think they got to play it with Jasper Carrot, though, which I think is, is a
0: disappointment. It's a major selling point.
1: Someone goes, you're going to get to play Golden Balls, and you go, oh, like the TV show, am I going to get to meet Jasper?
0: What's he up to these days? Cause I'm
1: sure he's keeping busy at something,
0: but... Because the show kind of fell apart after that one contestant managed to game his way to the end and just guaranteed the person standing across from him that he would steal and just kind of share it off camera. So, you know, telling his opponent if you say share I will get all of the cash and then we'll sort something out off camera. Just say share. I've got steal. He of course had share and they both came away with the big jackpot. But that kind of broke the system and everyone else thereafter was like, well I'll just do what this guy's done and it all it all fell apart.
1: I did not know that.
0: That's some game theory for you right there. <laughs>
1: game theory. Cheat. Behind the scenes.
0: I just meant like talking about theories about a game show. Mm. But also golden balls. And this wasn't, you know, just looking back at a retrospective of...
1: Oh yeah, they weren't just playing the game. They were...
0: This wasn't just someone sat around watching ITV thinking, Ah, yeah.
1: Each participant was paid $30 and they received additional... Tickets for a $100 lottery for each successful steal and split they got during the game. So there was extra motivation to win.
0: It was conducted by having the 370 participants play each other over Skype so that emotion tracking software could track the muscle movements in the face, the cheek, lip, chin races, dimples, compression and separation of lips. And all of it boils it down to... Smiling during lots is a gesture towards cooperation and a feeling of mutual success, but smiling stealers open themselves to future punishment by the loser. And the authors of this press release go on to consider something which I'm glad they've said and wasn't just going to be me wondering about it. How does this then work if you're playing an opponent whose face you can't see, or who doesn't have a face? Thinking of playing against an artificial intelligence, like... Deep Blue beating Gary Kasparov in the 1990s, or the computer system Watson on Jeopardy just a couple of years back. It was only earlier this year that the Google, I think it was the Google DeepMind AI beat a master at Go, and professional poker players who quite heavily rely on bluffing are coming up against struggles when dealing against opponents whose face they can't see.
1: They've not actually talked about how you cope when you're playing against someone without a face.
0: Well then, there'll just have to be more research in the future of getting Google to play Golden Balls. Okay, Google. Golden Balls. Hey, Alexis. Golden Balls. Hey, Siri. Golden Balls. I think that should cover everything. But on that gambling note, that's just about all we've got time for today. Apart from maybe these last two quick studies just to send you on your way. Heart failure and stroke, identified as a lethal combination.
1: Turns out if you have previously had a stroke and then experience heart failure, you are more likely to end up back in hospital, you are more likely to die, you're more likely to be depressed than peers who have just experienced heart failure. Somehow no one has collected the numbers on this before. Uh, research from the European Society of Cardiology has finally collected the numbers and it's... I mean, Bad. being seriously ill in two directions is rubbish.
0: Turns out. Similarly, a study from the University of Bristol, a nice little local story for us to round off our show with, finds a link between teen cannabis use and illicit drug use in early adulthood.
1: Because if you've done some drugs while you're a teenager you might continue doing some drugs in the following five or six years after you stop being a teenager.
0: But if you are an early adult, drug user or otherwise, we're not here to judge. Then let us know what you think about playing poker with a robot by sending your questions and comments and thoughts to EurekaNerdcast at gmail.com.
1: That's EurekaNerdcast at gmail.com. Your likes and reviews on whatever platform you're listening to us are always valuable to help us share what we're sharing and grow our audience.
0: And maybe one day we too will be playing Jasper Carrot's Golden Balls here on iTunes for you to enjoy. Probably not, we can't. Do we? Have the context to get in touch with Jasper Carrot?
1: I bet we do. Probably good.
0: Well I'll have to stay tuned and find out more about that again next time. But until then, it's bye bye from me.
1: And goodbye from me. Plumerang.